When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's right, everybody. We're back, and this is episode 111, or 111, if you will, the untold story of web development. I'm Matt, that's Mike, and this week we'll be discussing some parts of web development that you may unexpectedly find yourself doing regularly. And then in the web news, we'll be discussing moment.js, or moment.js, if you will, choosing to say goodbye. Now, if this sounds interesting to you and you want to support the show, you can come check us out on that Patreon, leave a review or rating in your podcast app, join us in our Discord server, or share this with your friends. And now it's time for our weekly pain points. So, Mike, please, sir, take it away. All right. Uh, for the first time in a while, it's a web development weekly pain point, and it's get user media. Um, so I, I do a lot of camera work. A lot of our applications that we make have some sort of access to a camera, whether it be just to create like a photo booth or some other more complex analytical stuff. Uh, we use cameras and get user media is the way um, or navigator.getusermedia is the way to get camera devices on most, if not all browsers. Uh, and I was kind of programming it away. I've been doing it for so long that I just kind of know what to do in that. But lately, um, there's this one application that's using the camera in a couple different functionalities. So you kind of, you know, open it, release it, open it, release it. And that can cause some issues sometimes. But the weird thing is, is that on all browsers, it works perfectly fine, except for iOS Safari. So iOS Safari has this weird race condition thing where sometimes it will uh, see that the the video container or wherever you're putting the camera is not ready to have the camera initialized and sometimes it will be ready to have the camera initialized it's completely intermittent there is no you know reason behind it it's definitely a race condition in that sense where like it's just something is happening before something else and it's causing an error um so it's been driving me crazy over the last couple of days i've spent way too much time on it i want to move on to other things that i have to do but i've just every time I do a fix. It causes another issue with the camera. The camera has been the bane of my existence over the last two or three days. I hate it. And that's my weekly pain point. Matt, what about you? So mine is not web development related, but it is uh, It is a personal thing. I'm not going to call out any companies or anything, but uh, had a bit of a support debacle. I've been uh, in a support ticket with a particular company over approximately a week. There was like some debacle over some crap. I'm not going to get into it again, but... Um, basically I was trying to get some, or claim some stuff, uh, was unable to, but every single time I answered this particular ticket, a different tech would answer me. It'd be like, hi, I'm, you know, X person. Hi, I'm this other person. Hi, I'm this. Every time I would answer. So they would send me something. I would, you know, answer because we're having a back and forth. And then the last, one of the last, uh, communications I received or not the last, but one of them, uh, was that they, uh, they, Upon reviewing my request, the thing they told me to do, I'm trying to like be really ambiguous here. Anyway, I'm not, I'm not going to get into that. Regardless of which, I'm not going to get into it because like, you're going to be able to identify what it is if I say what it is. So regardless of which, 
It's a big damn mess, and it sounds like to me that they just reviewed my request at, like, the end of the week. Like, we had talked back and forth, and, like, it's a new tech every time, so I guess they reviewed the request. But for some reason, it's just like, oh, like, upon reviewing your request, this fix is impossible. And so, like, whatever, like, it's not the end of the world. But I'm starting to notice this with big companies, and I'm starting to notice this with just support in general of, like, the the de-evolution, if that's a thing, of support where support was is supposed to be there to help the customer and stuff like that and like we've seen you know terrible support be sort of a a standard it's almost like having support is standard like having terrible support is standard these days we're buying stuff like imagine this you go and you buy something uh digitally a digital product and it it's broken immediately well you bought it in seconds and now you're waiting a essentially a week to hear back about why it's not working so it's like I understand it's a whole capitalism thing, get your dollars, whatever, and then the support's just there because it needs to be there. But at the same time, it's just very almost dehumanizing. It's like, this is why people don't call support. And that's probably part of the invention. You have terrible support, so then you just don't call. Like, I'm not calling these guys ever again. Like, if I have a problem, I just have a problem then. Like, that's that's the way it is. So, had a had a bit of a support, a support debacle. And it's just, in my opinion, indicative of where the support industry in general is going. I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's exemptions to that rule and exceptions to that rule left, right, and center. And you could probably name some yourself as the listener, but sadly in this day and age, I don't know what the hell's going on, but it like support is, it's almost like everyone is like level one support and there's a place for level one support. I'm not making fun of them, but there's a reason why they're level one because there needs to be a level two, three, etc. And it just seems like, oh, you're being escalated, and then that person also can't do anything. It's like, well, then what are we doing? Like, why did you escalate me? Just wasting my time. Just say you can't help me. At least I know my place, and then I move the, move the hell on. But anyway, maybe that's just me. But that's just my little rant on support. I think it's a mess, and I think it's uh, a little sad that Mike and I, effectively a two-man operation, uh, offer better support than that. So, I mean, not to toot my own horn, but we do offer better support than that. So... Anyway, moving on from that, like I said, I'm not going to call out anybody, but that really that really uh, grinded my gears this week. But uh, this is a, a me-heavy episode, and then Mike added a small section to it as well. So uh, we have two main segments, and they all have little subsections in them. So the first segment is going to be expectations versus, or excuse me, expectations and preparation. And the second one is going to be, second segment is going to be the reality, and there's a bunch of little subsections in there. So let's get going. So first segment here, expectations and preparation. First subsection, of course, is going to be the pre- the preparing stage, if you will. So when like someone goes into web development, they probably imagine themselves either working on websites or web apps, you know, followed by some research on what skills they need to do and what skills they need to learn to enter their desired position in the field. Now, you know, there'll be a period, of course, of learning those skills because they can't be learned overnight. And then, of course, as those skills get developed, working on some personal projects and some portfolio projects and those type of things in order to gain experience and build up that portfolio, as I said, and get that skill set up as much as possible and get effectively some real world experience because you're building like a real website, just not for a client or something like that. And then finally, you know, through all that experience gained, this, you know, this person that's doing all this learning and stuff like that would find themselves choosing more or less where to go, like where to go to like in in the field. So do they want to go freelancer? Do they want to go, you know, where do they want to go? Do they want to go freelancer? Do they want to go into an agency? That type of thing. Now, I just want to preface or not, I guess not preface suffix this with, with like a, a small point here. So 
whilst there are, and I'm sure you're thinking like, I didn't go through that path. And, and this is what this line is addressing. That's kind of why I was hesitating at the end there is that like, there's countless variants and changes that you could do to this sort of quote unquote path to becoming a web development professional, of course. Right. But in general, this is sort of the, this is sort of what I see as like a, a general like path that is like accepted among everyone. Like this is a common path that a lot of people take and there's variants on this path, but this is often, but not always the path that people take. And there's no, there's no problem with people taking different paths. Mike and I took different paths, paths in this regard as well. I'm just saying that in general, this is sort of like a standard that you'll see in the industry. So I'm going to be sort of referring to this type of, this type of position that a, that a person is in throughout but just just know that if like you went through a different path there's no there's no problem and like i'm acknowledging that there's other paths i'm just talking in generalities for conversation's sake if you will but anyway so that's the that's the preparing part right so then they're they're all skilled up they want to know hey do i go into freelancer do i go into do i become a freelancer do i work in an agency what do i do type of thing so here's the expectation so at this point the expectation is that all is all about like the actual work, right? They've worked on a bunch of skills. They've worked on a bunch of projects and now all their expectation is based in that work using those skills. You know, whether you're looking to become a freelancer or whether you're working in an agency, for example, your general day-to-day tasks, you know, will involve, you know, coding, uh, coding up websites and, uh, and or web apps and then shipping those products to customers. Those, that's your expectation. You think, oh, I'm either going to be a part of a team or, hey, I'm just going to be by myself freelancing. But for the most part, you're thinking, I'm going to be using the crap out of these skills. And you're right, but we're going to get into why there's some cracks in that story. So, you know, while some paths like the freelancer one, you know, come with small business admin tasks, of course, maybe you got to register a company or however it works in your particular country or where you live, you know, the general day to day layout remains relatively the same as someone works uh, like working in an agency. So that's why I wanted to mention that. So you might be thinking right now, like, Hey, like I expected to work in an agency, right. And I wanted to work in a team. I don't have any of this small business stuff. That's very true. But the freelancer has small business tasks as like a side effect to them taking on these jobs as a web dev. So for the most part, the jobs are very closely related, but not completely there. And there's still these sort of like hidden elements to some of these positions, although there are variances, as I said. So with that being said, you might be thinking that people working in an agency would be working differently, right? So that you're in a bigger team and, you know, you might be in a team that's so big that you yourself might just be responsible for layout or like a single component. Like maybe you just work on all the nav bars on a particular project because there's nav bars all over the place or something. Or, uh, you know, the point remains like, like effectively the point remains when it comes to freelancing versus agency there's always like a churning out of code. Like there's always a churning out of a product. Effectively, you churn out code and deliver a finished code, finished product to the customer. Whether you're customer facing or not customer facing or freelancer, so you do it all. At the end of the day, the bread and butter of this industry for the most part in expectation, in your expectation, right, is just coding. But this is so, I know this is kind of confusing, but I'll I'll explain it as I go. Trust me, sir. So the reality behind this is that there's a lot more being sort of churned out in a day. There's a lot more that's kind of happening. And when you're at that expectation phase, when you're at that education phase, when you're at that point, you, you're, you're solely thinking about, oh, I learned JS, right? And now I can do all this stuff and do this. Oh, I learned, I learned CSS animations. Now I can do all these CSS animations. 
And as you learn those skills, JS animations or like, or JS, or excuse me, JS, CSS animations, just general CSS, just general HTML, you slowly build and build and build and build and build and build and build. And that's where those projects and portfolio things come from. So when you enter the actual professional side of things, you might think, oh, I'm just going to keep ripping out code and it's going to be super easy. But there's reasons why, you know, projects get delayed and projects have problems. And it's beyond just the technical thing. And that's because there's a lot to web development in the industry, whether you're in an agency or a freelancer. And some of these points apply to both and some of them apply to the others where you you're affected by them, but they're never a part of your expectation until you're there. And I'll get into that. So the reality behind this, I'm going to jump right into segment two with that. So the reality behind all this is that web development isn't just as simple as making a web app or or a website, you know, just far from it, straight up. Whilst learning the skills to make these creations takes a lot of time and indeed is a job all their own, right? You're learning all the time. Hence, this is why large agencies exist. Many people completely overlook, right, these so-called hidden or untold aspects of the job. This, This sort of thing applies to almost any other field. So if you're trying to like sort of understand what I'm saying, and you will in a minute when I go through these other points, but if you think about any other field, if you think about it, the closest you can really get to experiencing a job without actually signing up or being like formally hired is to do it, you know, is to shadow a a worker for a day, but that's just it. You are only shadowing a worker for a day. There's going to be a bunch of untold little hidden things that you would never get unless you were there for a month, a year, 10 years, whatever it is, whatever industry it is. There's going to be a bunch of untold little hidden things. So So can I just interrupt for a second here, actually? Uh, Yeah. So I think that point is really important. uh, And the whole expectation to reality argument is also really a, a key thing when you're looking for a job or when you're kind of in the market or when you've just started a job. Um, it's just like I've never had it where exactly what people have told me like my in, during my interview or during my intake process at a company has been exactly my job one-to-one. Sometimes the expectation is actually more than what I'm going to be doing. So like, um, you know, you're going to be handling all the client relations and all the the coding and all that, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, depending on if you're on a startup. That's another kind of wrench that I wanted to throw into here. A startup, you could be wearing many different hats, including coding, right? Like you can be a salesperson and a coder at the same time, which is kind of a crazy contrast, but it's possible. Um, and sometimes it's it's something like, hey, we're going to, we want you to do X, Y, and Z, like all these different really cool technologies. Like we want you to use Vue and we want you to use uh, like, you know, the new Node.js server architecture, all that. And then you get to the job and you're, you know, you're just using WordPress and you only use WordPress all day. So it can go one of two ways, like the expectation versus the reality can go one of two ways. And you really have to, it's like, like you said, unless you shadow someone from that company, you're not going to know until you actually do it. Because it's not just because the company's trying to hide it from you. No, a lot of the times the hiring manager doesn't know what everyone's doing. The managers don't know what everyone's doing and stuff changes. So all, all the time, like you could be, you know, all in WordPress and doing some client relations stuff one week. And then all of a sudden WordPress is out of fashion because someone had a bad security issue and the CEO decides, hey, we're not using WordPress anymore. So you could all of a sudden be retrofitting an entire system from WordPress to something else and spending your entire day on that, not talking to any clients because that's kind of your job now. And you could be doing that for months because of the severity of the situation. Like it changes so drastically that it's very difficult to nail down exactly what the job description could be without any variation, which is always like a question mark. Like I see a lot of posts about like, hey, my job descri- my job doesn't actually match my job description. I've never had it match my job description. 
and I've always been adaptable. Now, on the other hand, obviously you don't want to be doing something completely different. You don't want to be like, you know, signing out to be a developer and all of a sudden you're a janitor and like, you know, that's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. (laughs) You you don't want to be a janitor, but as long as you're learning, as long as you're moving forward and you're okay with that, you shouldn't, it shouldn't be a huge concern for you is what I'm trying to say. Uh, And this might be an unpopular opinion or whatever. I just think that like, the development industry, especially the web development industry, is evolving so quickly that you will have to wear many hats. And that's kind of a good thing because that means that you're adaptable. That means that you can work in higher roles in the company, perhaps, and stuff like that. Like it just shows initiative. It shows adaptability, which is a two really big things. Like if I'm hiring someone, those two really big things are on the table. But on having said that, when I'm in an interview process, like when I'm interviewing someone, I do very clearly describe the situation and say that it is very adapt. Like you will have to be adaptable. Like it, you know, like here's the job description right now that could change in a couple of days. It's not going to change to the point again. You're not going to be a janitor tomorrow, but you could be doing some, you know, data entry. You could be doing some data analysis here and there. We'll try to keep it as close as possible, but that's just the reality of everything. So you can be upfront with the person, and you just have to kind of you know, adapt and move forward with the reality of the actual job. Yeah, that's a good breakdown. Honestly, it's like a good summary. Like I know that this is difficult to discuss and that's why I keep reiterating points and like trying to clarify because you're probably thinking like, you know, isn't it just clear cut when something is expected versus it's not, but that's exactly what we're trying to get through to the people and to the listener is that it's not, it's not straightforward. Like I used to work in a factory and you would think that the straightforwardness of it would be like you get put on a certain position in the line and then you just work in the factory. But then there's like days where the equipment breaks and now you're basically triaging the line with people to ensure that, you know, all the, I'm not going to get into where I worked, but like where like where the, the product goes and like how to like circumvent the machine and like, how do you preserve the product while it's, while it's being produced? Like, you know what I mean? It's a whole, like there's a big troubleshooting part that isn't a part of your life for months and months and months and months. And I was only a part of it once or twice. Right. In my whole time there, but like shadowing me for a, a month, wouldn't have found it. Shadowing me for uh, two months. Wouldn't have found it. Shadowing me for four months would have seen it once in one afternoon slash one night. Right. And so there's like those weird variances where they're not going to put occasionally, <laughs> occasionally the machines break like in the, in the job description, like occasionally the machines break and you have to like, troubleshoot and like circumvent you know obviously maintenance is handling the fix but like you need to circumvent the fact that like this is affecting the manufacturing procedure it's like like why the hell was that in the job description right like there's no way they're gonna know that that's gonna happen either right and then we had like a packaging problem at one point and it's like that's an unexpected part so that's kind of what we're getting at and so these other side points that i'm gonna be be going through now these sub points are gonna be sort of the the big ones that kind of come up a lot in web dev and like in the web industry in general, and they include side hustle marketing, uh, support, communications and meetings. And then Mike has one here, uh, keeping up to date with technology. So I'll jump right into the first one, side hustle marketing. So, you know, right when you're getting into web dev, into the web dev field, you'll always hear of success stories from people that started a website or a web app and started selling memberships, merch, e-commerce stuff, whatever the hell they were selling, you know, they were just going crazy and now they do that as a you know as a full-time as a full-time gig with an ever-growing brand and like this is super inspiring news to hear right you're always like yeah like this is great like this is the field I'm in look at this guy he did this and this is really great and those stories are truly truly inspiring and those those stories are are often true and those stories can happen to you and those type of things and that's really great but it is just the short version of the story it's the job description if you will version of the story right if you let's say choose a niche that you're really passionate about and you find that there's very little or no competition and you think you've hit gold you very well could have but you have to think to yourself you know why is no one else 
making this or searching for it. Now, that's a whole, you know, bucket of worms that we can dive into. And that's not the side of the argument I want to jump into. But let's just say, you know, while there are numerous reasons why an app you're looking to make might not exist, let's just say for the example purpose and for the the purpose of this podcast, let's just say that you are actually fulfilling a need that the market wants, okay? The other side of the coin, not to get into the weeds of it, could be that the market, like you need it and like 10 other people need it, but no one else needs it. So effectively, quote unquote, no one else is searching for it, just like you and like 10 other people, right? But let's just say again, for this argument that the market actually needs this and you're going into a niche that is virtually untapped, okay? So with that, you know, you build the app, you know, you get it all done, you ship it, right? Eagerly. And then like at this point, you know, it's just a website, you know, just sitting there. It's a membership site, whatever. And you're eagerly waiting for people to come, you know, flying into your website to purchase a membership. You wait, but very few arrive. Okay. And this is because you're solely at this point relying on organic reach, right? You're, you're relying on organic reach of like your, your Google listing. If you could even say that your Google ranking, like literally you're just link on Google, right? You're, you're solely worried about that. And whereas organic stuff, organic reach is totally viable and is totally like could make you go viral. Absolutely. In general, you know, that's not going to get you there. And a lot of people, what they'll do is they'll go to, and we've done this, go to like a related subreddit, right? And you wait for like the self promo day, which is once a week or once a month. And then you promote yourself and you get like a little boost of traffic, but like, you're not getting much from that. Like you're getting a bunch of clicks that day. And like, even within that hour, but you're not getting, you know, a heck of a lot you know, the market effectively is unaware, okay, that you exist because the market isn't consistently searching for the thing you made. So here's the kicker. You're in a niche and you made this thing, right? But, and you realize that like 10,000 people a day are searching for this, but there's a lot, a hell of a lot more people a day using Google or using the search engine that you researched, right? There's a lot of people using the search engine, even if it's Bing or something, right? There's a lot of people using all these different search engines, right? And so what's happening here, and this is like the weird thing is anything that is like really, really, really hype driven, anything that's like really, really like going to hit the organic reach is already generally being done by the big boys in this space. So let's take an example. Let's take a gaming example because I, I know that that industry. So there's a reason, okay, why indie games have taken off, right? So if we think a look, take a look here. Big game developers, okay, not the indie guys, are already taking advantage of the stuff that is mass appeal, that has mass appeal. If you think about a, a video game for like one second, for all, a lot of us in our brains, we're thinking first-person shooter military game. Doesn't matter the era, just a first-person shooter military game. Who makes that? Activision and a bunch of other different, like Infinity War and a bunch of other different devs. What is it called? Call of Duty. Call of Duty appeals to the masses. It has organic reach. People type in like military shooter and that type of thing. I'm sure Call of Duty will show up somewhere in there, right? That is like something that is like just an organic reach immediately. It's it, it's the equivalent of, of, of thinking about gardening. And the very first thing that pop, probably popped into your head was flowers, right? Like flowers are like the baseline big thing. It's like if someone's into gardening, they're planting flowers. Like, you know, chances are they're planting flowers, right? But the indie devs, okay, so this is where the niche kind of comes in. But the indie devs, the independent developers, realize that there's a market for extremely difficult survival games, okay? And whilst those games may bring in a few hundred thousand dollars, which is plenty enough, right, for a, de a small dev team, it doesn't interest the big boys in the space. It doesn't interest EA, Ubisoft, Activision. Why? They're building games for the masses, 
They're building games like, oh, like, think of a sci-fi shooter. First thing that pops in my head, Destiny. That's, you know, Activision's involved in that. Bungie's involved in that. What's another one? Halo. Again, Microsoft's involved in that. Bungie was involved in that, right? These are the big companies. They're already appealing to those baseline things. The things that are not a niche. The things that are absolutely not a niche. They're very specific. Think about speakers. First thing pops in my head, Bose. Next thing, maybe like Polk. Polk Audio, right? Those are the big boys, right? There's a reason why audiophile equipment is niche because when I go, I want surround sound, I don't go like, I need the best surround sound with water balanced, like whatever crazy crap. I don't do that. I go like, I need five, I need like four speakers and like a center speaker with a subwoofer. What do I do? Oh, like Polk Audio has some. Cool. And then we buy it. It's good quality and everything else. And they're appealing to the masses, but they're not a niche. That's the point. That's the point here. Okay. So the indie, the indie studios in this case, right, they rely on platforms like Steam, for example. Steam is a, if you don't know, it's like a game client. You download games on there, you buy games on there, whatever. They rely on plat- being on platforms like Steam because then their content is searchable and can be sold to the masses, okay? So the instant someone looks something up on Steam, they already have Steam. They probably already have a gaming PC. They're probably a gamer and they're looking to buy something. And if they type in extremely difficult survival game, your game might pop up. So now you're not just advertising on something very generic like Google, okay? You're actually advertising to the specific person. You're actually already advertising to what will, you know, nine times out of 10 be a gamer. Like if I'm not a gamer, why the hell would I have Steam in search, right? But if I'm not a gamer and I'm searching something on Google and I make a typo, I might accidentally find your game, but I'm not interested in it. So I might give you a click and be like, oh, this isn't what I wanted and then leave. Right. So here's the kicker. You as a web app. Right. What platform do you have? Your platform is just the Internet. You're just sort of like sitting out there floating in the wind. Like what platform do you have? You don't even you don't have the the Microsoft Store. You don't have the Xbox Microsoft Store, whatever the hell they call it. Like you, you're not on the, the, those listings. You're not on Steam. You're not on that stuff. That doesn't apply to you. And there's no like web app store. I'm sure there's something out there, but it's not as on mass as these other big platforms, right? You're effectively just kind of floating in the wind of the internet, right? You're just there. So with that, how is anyone going to ever know that you made that app that you did without you effectively screaming it over and over and over again on something like social media, hitting all those keywords on the social, hitting those hashtags, doing like whatever, like works on that particular platform, making the videos, uh, posting on certain schedules, you can get really into it and there's content funnels and freaking all this other stuff. Like it's crazy. But the reason why you need to do that is because the, the growth is there when people see you. So I'll use literally this podcast you're listening to right now as an example. This podcast, prime example. After years of doing this, right? We've been doing this since 2018-ish, like I think summer 2018, okay? Years of doing this. We're still seeing growth. We're still seeing new followers. We're still seeing that, whatever. We're still seeing new followers, new subscribers, new whatevers. Download numbers go up and down and stuff like that. But in general, the followers and the the whatever, continue, like, continue to grow on, like, almost, I think, literally, at this point, all platforms, on Podbean, on, like, CastBox, on, like, if we take it out of the podcast, if we're talking about Instagram, we're talking about Facebook, we're doing all that stuff, in general, our likes, our follows, all that stuff is growing, right, to this day, two years-ish later, okay, now, why is that, because we keep posting, we keep doing stuff, and a lot of those people that are following us are seeing us for the first time, 
They might be people that were interested in this podcast and would have loved to be there day one or would have enjoyed being there day one or being there in, after year one, right? When our quality went up or whatever their, their criteria is. But the point is they're seeing us right now for the first time. Here's another thing. A lot of people don't subscribe the first time. They might go on Facebook. They might see a suggested post. Someone shared us, whatever. They listen to one of our clips. They go, oh, okay. And then they're like, that was cool. And then they go off on their merry way because you don't know where they were. They could have been at a bus station. They could have been doing this. And we've all experienced that thing where you're on Facebook or whatever. You listen to a post or whatever you're doing or read a post. And then suddenly like you're, you know, you have to leave or whatever. So you have to close the app. And that, that post is gone forever. If you don't remember that name, like there's already a million other things that people have made. And you, it's all over the, it's all over Facebook and everything else. There's tons of content everywhere. And so like it's already, you're already old news, right? Like they're never going to find you again unless they screenshotted you or something or remember the name. So, so what happens is, is some of those people, because of the algorithm, they'll have our next piece of content suggested to them and our next piece and our next piece. And on the fifth try, then they follow us. Right. Yeah. And it's a really interesting concept. Sorry. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, go ahead. Like the whole, the whole, uh, just having to scream to get noticed is absolutely like it's, it, it, it resonates obviously with me because we've both been doing that. We have to scream. The other thing, like those those other platforms like Steam, like the App Store too, that's part of it, like Apple and Google, um, they take a 30% cut for a reason. And part of that reason is the searchability and the discoverability. And even with that searchability and th- discoverability, with that 30% cut, you still have to scream. Like you still have like to, to you know, differentiate yourself, get a game on the App Store and get like popular. It's not enough to just put it on the app store and hope that 30% cut, whatever they do in that 30% with that 30% is uh, what promotes your game. No, you still have to go out there and scream. So without the app store, without that, we're not giving anyone a 30% cut, but we have to scream double loud, like three times as loud or four times as loud as everyone else, because there's no single platform. That's why SEO is so important, but SEO is such a, it's kind of a joke. Like, I don't know. Like, it's just like every people time people SEO are like, is dead. People keep saying, yeah, SEO people are like, get, get our SEO better. What do you mean? Like, it's not. SEO changes constantly. So to be able to get better at SEO, you have to continually follow this algorithm. So the best way to get the best SEO, what people tell us, is to provide really, really good content and to ever-evolving, ever-changing content that's searchable. But people don't understand that. People are like, well, I just want my website up. I'm like, okay, write a blog. No. Right? Like, yeah, get, th- get that's, better, that's get really better about. That's really no. crucial. People do not update their sites. Like, we have blog we have blog sections on several of our customers' sites. And they say, how do I get my keywords up? Like, you have to write. You have to, like, we can adjust your pages. But, like, effectively, like, you're not just going to bubble to the top. You either need to buy Google AdWords and compete with everyone else in your space, right? Usually, it's a geographical, like, a small business. So, they, they're, they're specifically after one, like, section of geography. So, like, one city, right? And so there might be a big competition among all the people in Hamilton and that for that, all the people in Toronto for that. And so now you're fighting those people. You might be spending thousands of dollars in ads yep. to get up top. Not to mention, like SEO, SEO is still important. But like social media, like okay, let's let, let let's think about this. We put out a video on YouTube, Mike and I do. We get under 100 views, but let's say it hits 50 views. That's really good. The other day, I think it was actually today, I looked at our Instagram. And our IGTV videos had over like 300, a couple of them had like over 200, a couple of them had over 300 views. Now, I understand that like we're talking small numbers in terms of the grand scheme and everyone's like, oh, like you guys don't know what you're doing. Like, okay, whatever. That's fine. Like at me on Twitter. But like the thing is, is like those two, 300 views just like snuck in on YouTube. It'd be like, holy crap. Like we got 300 views on this view. Like, like let's keep this trend up. 
on social media, if you hit a keyword or something like that, like that is so much more powerful than, than, than SEO. Yes. There's, there's edge cases. Absolutely. And there's different things too. Like for example, if you are the biggest in microphones, you want to be on Google for the microphones, for the microphone keyword. If you're, if you're the biggest in cardioid microphones, you got it. You got to have that SEO, but maybe, but like realistically you should be doing SEO and I hesitate to give advice because I'm not an SEO specialist, but like if you go viral on like, okay, here, actually, I know exactly how to say this. You can't go viral on Google, but you can go viral on social media. If you'd make a really cool video about your microphone, it's nothing to get 3 million views on social media. There was like a big talk. I remember a couple of years ago where people were saying that they were, you know, YouTubers for years. And then they started going on Facebook and like, they would take, you know, a year to get 3 million views or something like that. They post some random video. Now, yes, they already have an audience, but they post a random video on YouTube of like, like it's the same video, but it's cut into pieces and it's like kind of more formatted for Google or for YouTube, if you will. And it's more formatted for watch. That's what Google calls their, their video service. It's more formatted for that. They get like 10 million views and it's like nothing. 10 million views. Watches Facebook's video service, right? Yes. Yeah. Not Google. I think you were saying Google. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So watches Facebook's video service. Sorry. So it's like they were on they were on YouTube. They got like, you know, a million views or whatever. But then they went on social media because, yes, YouTube can be argued as a social media platform. I'm not going to get into that. But you, they go on like a more traditional one like Facebook or Twitter. Look at the freaking views some of these people were getting. I remember listening. This is way before we got into this particular section of the industry, way before 2018, way before this podcast. And like people were saying like, oh, yeah, it took me like, you know, that, that video on YouTube has like 13 million views. It's been up for seven years. I cut it up a little differently, put it put it on YouTube and I hit or hit it on, put it on uh, Facebook. Too many damn platforms. Put it on Facebook and it hit like 10 million views in like like a little while. Now, that's not to say you're not going to get buried. There's tons of people posting on Facebook. There's so much content, right? Being posted online. So much content. So you're not going to necessarily get that. And those people have the advantage of being known, right? So like they're already a known uh, YouTube channel. And so they get like algorithm probably like helps them because people like search their name and stuff like whatever. But the point is like, do you ever hear anyone go like, man, I made $10 million by going viral on Google search engine. Like what? What are you talking about? So yes, SEO is important because if I'm looking for something, I literally type in like, like, okay, here, here's an example. I literally am looking for, like, I'm looking to upgrade my TV within the next year. I literally type in like Samsung TVs and then like, they better show up first. It better not be like LG showing up first. You know what I mean? So like they need that SEO to get there because I'm going to be looking for that specifically. But if Samsung, if I'm not looking for a TV, but Samsung shows me a freaking killer ad on, on social media. Now I might be looking for a TV, but I might be looking specifically for a Samsung TV because I want that experience, right? That's the kicker. That's the big thing. Now to bring this back to the world of like web development, look at all the crap we just talked about, about doing a side hustle when you thought probably it was just coding something out, just churning out some code and like putting the website up and like, look, now it's, you know, it's up and running and it performs well. Well, that's all well and good. And like, it took a lot of talent, you know, we're not talking down to you, but like, this, like, look how long we've been talking about this one topic. And this is just talking about m- the stuff you need to do on top of having the app built. On top of having the app built. You got to have the, all the e-commerce crap set up. You got to have Stripe or like, whatever you're using set up, Shopify, like whatever. It doesn't matter. You got to have all that crap set up. You got to have all the tax stuff set up. You got all the stuff set up. All of it's set up. It takes takes hundreds of hours, if not thousands of hours, depending on complexity. And then you're going to be sitting there waiting for your five organic views right? And if you have a different story, I'm sure it happens. I'm sure some people go freaking 
effectively viral on YouTube to an extent or on, on Google for, to an extent or even on YouTube, right? Where like they've released one video or they just rely on their organic reach and they're really good at SEO and they constantly hit those things. And I'm sure that works really well for guides, right? Like people type in like Tailwind CSS guide or something and then like you show up at the top because you named your thing well. SEO is still relevant, but like social media is a totally different ball game totally different ball game there's a reason why it's rapidly changing and there's a reason why so many people use it and so like this whole marketing like like this is the problem mike and i run into all the time like i'll be absent from our discord server because i'm like researching social media and i go down a massive rabbit hole of crap about seo versus social media versus all this and i'm not an expert in it right i've been researching for a few days I'm reading all this stuff and like I've had exposure to social media since I was in high school, right? That's kind of when it started coming out. So like I have that aspect, but I never really used it too much. Didn't use it too much in college either. And now it's like a part of my everyday life. So like, like this is like, this is something that is occupying all my time. And I didn't even build this supposed web app that we're talking about. So it's something really to consider. Like you do not want to put out a prod, a product and be like, Man, where's all where's all the money? Cuz like I would be terrified if I like invested all my savings or something to build some killer product that maybe a lot of people would love, have no money left over for marketing or just like you just didn't do any marketing cuz you don't necessarily need to pay, right? You can just post and post and post and post and like hit play the game, right? All for free for the most part. So, it's just a critical thing that I wanted to mention is this like look how long I've been talking about this one topic and it's not even it's not even talking about code it's crazy. Like it's a, it's, it's a totally different ball game. And if you're in an agency, sure, there might be a marketing team, but there should be a marketing team and they'll handle all this stuff. And they'll be like, I don't need to worry about it. And that, you know, power to you. But if you're a freelancer or if you're a person that works in an agency, but doing a side hustle, this is really critical. This is really critical, right? You need to figure out your, your perspective effectively. Not to, that almost sounds like I'm quoting Gary V, but like, seriously, like you need to be, you need, people need to know who you are. If Mike and I published one podcast a month and didn't tweet or anything, we'd have like some people that organically found us on, uh, on podcast apps by typing in web development podcast. And that would be it. But now we have like clips on YouTube and clips on this and like, or clips on watch and like, it's all over the place. Like uh, there's so many platforms in my head. It's, it's crazy. But I basically like my, like the last like two weeks, I've basically become like a marketer. Like I've just been researching and researching and learning and learning and learning. Okay, so to get off that train, I know we've been on a big rant, support. So now to sort of ground ourselves in something that's unexpected on the technical side, you know, not to cut that other one short, I kind of feel like that rant could have went on for another hour, but I'm not going to do that to you. <laughs> so we're going to go on to support, okay? So support, meaning literally technical support, the thing I was complaining about in the beginning. So despite what you might think, okay, despite what you might think, you'll be you'll be offering support for much more than you bargained for. I came from IT. And I can't believe the amount of support we give to our clients. And that's not me trying to say like, oh, look how good we're doing. Like there's like some some weird support that we do. And I'll get into that in a second. Okay. So your clients, okay. You're a web dev guy. You're building, you're building a website for one of your clients. They don't know at all where their job ends and yours begins. They don't know. Like unless they're in the field or they're technical general, they don't know. Right. And so they don't, they also don't know how the entire infrastructure works. And they don't know that if the data center goes down, you're not the one that just runs the data center. Generally, you're renting it, renting it via a reseller program, for example, right? And this is this becomes a situation where a client can contact you on things you know very little about. We've had contacts, con, or con, uh, excuse me, clients contact us about their content. 
Like, hey, is this article okay? I have no idea, man. I don't know anything about gardening. I don't know anything about desks. I don't know anything about wood. Like, I don't know. And it's like, well, is it good for the internet? I don't know. Like, I can give you some, like, really rudimentary, like, hey, like, you know, high school level proofread from, from a buddy. But, like, I don't know anything about, like, like what? Like, you can, you can hire me to build you a car website, but I don't know anything about cars. Like, that's crazy. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Like, hey, is this, this, is this miles per gallon good? I don't know. Like, like, you know what I mean? But seriously, like, I don't know. So there's that. We also have, um, photos. Holy crap. Photos are another big thing. A lot of people come from physical medium, right? Or they just like see photos on their Facebook and stuff like that. And they do not realize like photos are like very specific, specific resolution, specific like DPI, the whatever, if it's a video, the bit rate, all the rest of it. And they do not understand any of that stuff. And they do not know how to compress them. They do not know. They do not know how to, they do not know what aspect ratio is. They do not know any of that stuff. They figure that they can put a, a you know, a circular, picture in a square hole effectively and it'll work just fine and it ain't gonna work just fine like it's it it, it's not like it it doesn't work (laughs) it's just like and they don't get it like i'll be like please put a one-to-one image on here what does that mean a square oh okay is this like rectangle this like super elongated rectangle okay uh no it's not okay actually like you know what i mean like and you have to explain that to people like no it is not okay and so that's a whole thing that's a whole thing okay Next thing, pricing their products, pricing their products online. We've had people ask us like, is this, is this on par? No idea, man. Like I build websites. I don't know what your ebook should be, should be priced at. Like we haven't experienced this one ourselves to be, to be totally clear. But I, we have, I have seen people where they'll be like, Hey, like, what should we be pricing this at? What? Like, I don't know. Like, what are you talking about? That'd be like me making the Rona website. And then Rona's like, how's this? Like, how much should I charge this Rota tiller? (laughs) <laughs> the fucking hell's a road you know like what's a rototiller like i mean i know what it is but it's like i don't know like oh this one has an e-stop on it oh cool bud you know i don't know but but clients will clients will ask like some clients will ask absolutely here's another one and this is rare we've only experienced this once but this was this was weird this is really weird we've been asked for a couple of times a couple of times from the same couple of people i think we've been asked for straight up business accounting and legal advice. And I'm like, did you go to a web agency to ask how to sort your taxes? We've had people ask us how to, how, how to handle a business number, which is a thing in Canada, get a license, which is a thing in Canada. And also how to handle their tax situation with their various accounts. I got some news for you. Do not go to attack. Do not come to a web development agency to ask me about taxes. Especially in, not ours. Especially not ours in any <laughs> sense of the word. Like, first of all, I hate that crap, and I just go to my accountant for everything. I went to my accountant's office so they could fill out my Twitch stuff because I literally couldn't handle it. I couldn't handle. It. I lost my mind. Okay, to that degree. Now, luckily, I know what'll make me lose my mind, and that made me lose my mind, and I kind of figured it would, and so I went and got professional help. And that's it. Now it's done right. And it's all great. And it's all gravy. Hooray for our lives. The point of the matter is like, I didn't go to my, like call up my mechanic and be like, Hey man, I was, I was looking at getting a new graphics card, you know? And it's like, what? It's like, yeah, I'm looking at getting a new graphics card. What, what do you expect? But that's literally what's happening here because in the technical field, for whatever reason, logic often goes out the window or people are so 
like confused by tech because they're just they're just maybe they're older or they just never touched it. You know, to their credit, there's a lot going on because even Mike and I can't I can't can't keep track of watch and YouTube and Google for Pete's sake. So it's like there's so much going on in tech that they're just like, how do I do my taxes? <laughs> You know what I mean? They're so confused. They're like in a confused state. It's like, what? It's like, how do I do my taxes with this stripe thing? It's like, how the, like, how the hell should should I know? Like, please consult a tax professional. But we've had it happen. And the thing is, is that's wasting your time, right? Like, it's not like some of it's funny and whatever. Like, you got to have some fun with your clients. But like, like effectively, that's taking up your time, right? And and this is on top of the fact, right, that they will also call you for everything everything website related so like i mentioned above with the reseller point with the hosting reseller if their website goes down and let's say they haven't called you yet and you notice like oh your reseller host is down because it was a problem right and like you know you rented it from them and they're having an issue and it's a regular website project so it's not like you have redundancy or you're going to do a migration you're just going to let the you know the reseller fix fix their problem in their data center and then their website will come back up you know you notice it you think oh okay you know it's not my problem i don't need to go in there and fix it so you know i'll just let I'll let the reseller fix it and then the hardware will come back up it's a hardware problem data center problem don't worry about it then they call you like they're going to call you about that right they're not going to call the reseller and then you have to explain to them about the reseller and sometimes they're not going to accept that answer or they're going to ask you for a timeline and you're like well i got to contact the reseller and this happens in other industries too with like you know contractors will hire like a roofer and then like how fast how, like the, the the client will call the general contractor and be like hey how 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 fast is that roof going to be done it's like well i gotta call the roofer now you know so there there's some like commonalities with other industries of course but it's just one of those things where like you're probably not going to expect that going in you're definitely not going to expect that legal advice one um but <laughs> like this is just one of those things where anything to do with the website, they're going to call you. If it affects the website, they're going to call you. Even if it affects their in-store sales, but they sell the same thing on your website, they might call you. Like literally to that extent, okay? So like that literally might, literally might be what you have to deal with. And the point is, is that support takes a lot of time from small questions and emails that just derail your train of thought because you're working on another project to, com- to, to a random conflict in a complex system like WordPress, where yes, WordPress isn't a supercomputer in complexity, but like some people got hundreds of plugins and it like, and then there's updates and like some of the updates support the latest version of WordPress and some updates need to be done because this version of WordPress doesn't support that. And this one's cutting support. And it's like a whole web of like, oh, I updated, but now my theme doesn't support it. And like a whole, like a whole thing becomes a whole thing. And so that's where support really takes up its time. And and like that WordPress thing is your territory, to be fair. You know, that's something you should be doing. But it's still something that a lot of people would just be like, oh, I built this person a website in WordPress and then I left. And then that person now has access, possibly admin access, and they press update and it breaks the whole damn thing. And who are they going to call? Well, they're not going to call someone else. They're going to call you. Not and be the like, Ghostbusters. <laughs> call Ghostbusters. You know what's weird? I don't like Ghostbusters movies. None of them. Old ones, new ones. It's not, like, it's just... It's not that weird. It's just It's just like one of those things where it's like, you drive an ambulance and you like go after ghosts, okay? Like that's always been my my take on it. It's like, okay, you got a vacuum to suck up ghosts, huh? Like I don't know. Anyway, the Marshmallow Man sucks too. So uh, I mean, I probably pissed some people off by saying that, but I don't even know what the Marshmallow Man's name is. I just know that like he gets used on branding, and I'm just sort of at a point where it's like, oh, there's the Marshmallow Man from Ghostbusters, huh? Like I just don't care. I'm at that point. Anyway, really random tangent. But that's support. You know, you don't realize how much time you're going to be putting into support, but there'll be some times where I'm like, hey, I'm going to Twitch stream. It happened last, last week and it's still happening right now. I'm going to Twitch stream. A support ticket leads to a new part of a project. Now I'm building a whole new freaking page for somebody. And it's a whole thing, you know? So 
pay attention to support potential. And also, I didn't write this in the show notes, but this is really crucial and it, it takes skill and like you're not going to do it perfectly because we don't either. Scalability. If you have like 250 WordPress websites and like you notice that there's a lot of support tickets coming in and worst case scenario, like some certain update that's like to a plugin could break all 250 of those websites and they're all set to auto update and you're like a two man team. Maybe don't have auto update on because you're going to get 250 tickets all in one day. Scalability is really important or have a support team. Like seriously, like you do not want to wake up one day and be like, oh, 250 tickets are in here. So just a little tidbit there. Uh, the next one is going to be the, my last one. And then Mike's going to take over. So, uh, communications and meetings. So this goes hand in hand with support as there will be discussions and meetings on things that need to be fixed or adjusted. And specifically there is like, you know, a complex element to, I just knocked my hand on something. One second. I just like really hurt my hand. So just, I keep like moving my hand around and I just whack my headset. So it's like, anyway, moving on. Communication and meetings, restarting. This goes hands in hand with support as there will be discussions and meetings on things that need to be fixed or adjusted. Um, however, there is a complex element to discussing new projects with clients, specifically changing the idea in their head to an actual website or a web app and delivering a product with all the features they have in their head. It's very common for clients to think that big features are just standard. So you could put together, for example, an entire website and then as an aside, the client's like, hey, you know, where's the scheduling software so that people can book online? And they have no idea that you building out the whole marketing side of their website was, you know, not that big of an undertaking and that the whole website, realistically, all the complexity comes from that scheduling software and comes from you configuring or building that scheduling software. They have no idea because, again, they don't they don't know anything about the technical side. That's where they're coming to you. Gathering requirements, okay, in terms of your expectation, everyone expects to gather requirements. It might seem really easy in the beginning, but there's a reason why scope creep is so common and so dreaded. Now, to people's credit, oftentimes cl the client is actually adding new features to the project last minute, okay, or during development of a project. So sometimes they're the ones that are like increasing the scope of the project as development is. But it's equally as common from our experience that the client actually had those requirements in their head at the beginning. And those requirements weren't gathered or weren't articulated in the beginning, in those planning stages. And then the develop and then the development team never received those instructions. And then it looks like scope creep when in reality it was there since day one, just not articulated properly or not communicated properly or extracted from the client's head properly. So that's like this 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 is a this is a more common thing that people will will see and this is sort of uh gathering requirements is something that comes up more commonly so while you're doing your learning of like how to become a freelancer or whatever this type of stuff you may read on that's why it's the third item in the list it's like you you might already know about this but there is there is like a real complexity and mike and i still don't do it perfectly like i don't think anyone can there is a real art to getting what people want like we've had we we have projects that are like paused because just like as an aside, like a full like animation component was added and it's like, holy crap. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's fine. Like, you'll do it. I'm not going to complain, but it's sort of like, man, like this is a big ask, like a big added part. And it's sort of like, man, this is like really, it's almost like a dampener on the project, right? Because normally you would have started with, or at least been, been aware of the animation. And now it's like, oh, and I have to do this big thing. And that's. I could spin up 10 pages in the time that it takes to do this animation, for example. So again, just, just one of those, just one of those things. 
Yeah. And just to add a little bit to the communication side of things, like the communications can be varying in complexity and differences. So you could have, you know, team communication. So just like stand up meetings every day. Uh, That's another part of the thing. Like you might not think like when you're coming out of college or university, you might not think that that would be part of your day where you have to explain exactly what you did the day before. And you have to explain exactly what you're going to be doing that day and any blockers and like have that communication daily uh, with the team and then have multiple other strategy sessions like strategy meetings is a big thing like how you're going to handle the next big problem how you're going to handle the next big project which technologies you're going to use who's going to be on the project like you might become more of a project manager at some point and you might have to use skills like that rather rather than development skills so your day might be split 50 50 between literally talking to people or and developing and then the other thing is like you, like I said before, with the whole like if you're if you're in a small startup and there's not a lot of you, you're the main developer. But sometimes since you're the main developer, you understand the system so well that you'll be brought into sales meetings. And in sales meetings, you might have to answer, you know, very quick, like really quickly questions from the client, potential clients being like, hey, can we get this feature done? And you might have to be like, yes, we can get it done because A, Y, and Z, like I have these features already done. It'll be perfect to add this feature. And you, you might like you might have to be able to be good at, uh, you know, closing an account or showing confidence in a project and stuff like that. And that's all supplementary, to, obviously, to coding, but also really important if you're planning on becoming like a jack of all trades or, you know, being in that startup environment or having your own thing, like if you're a freelancer, you have to sell yourself. If you're a small business, you have to sell websites. Like you constantly have to put on all these different hats on top of web development, even during your web development time. That's like, that's the thing, even and using your web development skills. So that's just like one little tidbit to add to the communications and meetings that definitely adds up um throughout the days and throughout the months and throughout the years as you as you become a developer but moving on from that uh the last little note here that i wrote after reading um, matt's show notes is keeping up to date with technology and i feel like this one's pretty important um because like one point i'm just going to throw out a few points if you don't keep up with technology like if you're not aware for instance edge browser has switched from its own proprietary uh edge like um browser engine to Chromium browser engine, which is the same engine that's used by Chrome. If you're not aware of that, you might continue to develop for Internet Explorer and Edge compatibility where you can kind of drop that as you go and save a lot of time because there's a few things in inside of web development that just don't work across all the browsers. But since Edge is kind of going down and Edge all the Edge uh, frameworks are going down, you can start switching over to just Chromium and Safari. Those are the two main ones that you have to worry about now. So that's a thing that if you're not keeping up with technology, you're definitely not going to be able to uh, take advantage of that extra time and that extra like bandwidth that you're creating for yourself. The other thing, let's say the market switches. So right now I can see the trend switching to larger screen devices. A lot of devices are starting to come out that have folding screens that have very large screens. A lot of devices are starting to come out with like just enormous screens. Tablets are starting to come back into popularity. I know iPads are starting to become really, really popular. Even Android tablets are starting to become more popular. So it looks like the trend is moving towards larger screens, right? Tablet size screens. So it, 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 Right now, usually, uh, if you look at your breakdown of users, you'll see that phones are kind of the majority of users. So usually what you do is you design phone first and then th- like you know you throw in tablet at the end. 
right now it, it could become a situation where you're building tablet first interfaces and then throw in phone at the end. So depending on how, where the tech trends are going, it's important to keep up with it so that you can design your websites to appeal to the most amount of people. That That's also, also critical too, mm-hmm. to, not to jump in, but like that's also critical too, because like you and I only go down to the iPhone 5. We're not going down to like a BlackBerry Curve 9320 screen, you know, where it's like a little tiny rectangle or whatever. I don't even know if the 9320 is the right like number, but the point is like we're not going to like an old BlackBerry Curve or like an old BlackBerry Pearl or something. You know, we're deciding, okay, we're going down to width of an iPhone 5 and we're going to support an iPhone. I get this point. It's an iPhone SE. So like we're down to an iPhone SE. And if Apple just keeps like big, making bigger displays, eventually it's like, well, who the hell has an SE? Because there's so much stuff going into these websites and so much stuff going into this user interface and the user interfaces in general that it's impossible and literally impossible to fit everything in on like a tiny, 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 tiny screen. Unless you're going to have like hidden menus with sub menus of hidden crap. Like I'm sure there's UX, UX people that can do it and like I can do it like we've done it, but it gets clunkier the smaller you go. Like could you imagine a modern interface, a, mo- a modern interface like a dashboard or something like a dashboard or, or something or on like panel. an old blackberry screen like like pre bb10 it's like come on guys like we can't be you know we can't be supporting this mm-hmm. exactly and yeah so like it's just important to keep up to date with those kinds of trends is like if you're not if you're not aware of the new frameworks that are coming out or if you're not aware of the new libraries that are coming out you're going to have essentially potentially inefficient tech like if you're i mean Barring like we like WordPress, WordPress is fine. It's a good, it's a good framework. It has a lot of positives, but in some situations, it's just not the way to go. Like if you're going for a secure application that you constantly need to make sure that it's, uh, that it's not hackable, it's all that, then WordPress probably isn't your best route. And if you don't pay attention to the tech trends, you don't know that there's other stuff out there that's a lot more secure, that's a lot more up, like, uh, easier to update, easier to maintain, and just better for the current project that you're working on. You won't, you'll choose WordPress, you'll have a security issue, and that could be a severe risk to your clients or yourself. So it's important to keep up to date with all these things. It's important to keep up to date with technology in general, because our web development industry is evolving so quickly that you just have to stay on top of it. Like I keep, I kind of, that's kind of been my pattern throughout this whole conversation is like, just be adaptable, keep, keep on top of everything. Like, you know, go with the trends. Because if you get stuck in some place, let's say you're, you're only a WordPress developer now and you refuse to be anything else, I like, you know, four or five years down the line, it'll probably be harder for you to get a job. That's just the reality of it. So if you're not on top of it, if you're not getting the trend, if you're not, uh, you know, learning all the new technologies or at least knowing about them enough to, to adapt and go to them, if you need, if you need to use them, then you're not going to be as hireable as the next guy beside you. So just keep those kinds of things in mind. I think that's that's all I have to really say on uh, on those topics. I'm going to probably move on to the web news unless, Matt, you have any other stuff to add. Please, sir. Let's do it. So web news this week is actually a legit web news. It's news <laughs> from the web, which is very rare for us, but I'm always delighted when it happens. Uh, <laughs> this this week, we're going to be talking about Moment.js becoming a legacy project. So just for the people out there that don't know what Moment.js is, it's essentially a, a, a the library that helps you deal with date and time. So displaying date and time in proper formats, displaying date and time across regions, displaying time zones, like formatting your date, formatting your time, showing live time, stuff like that. Like it essentially helps get time 
to be a little bit easier so you don't have to go in and parse all the little, all the data, all the milliseconds yourself. Because you can absolutely do that because there's a date object in JavaScript, but you've got to do all the calculations for actually calculating, uh, you know, how much time has passed since the start of the date object or whatever, however they do it in date, in date and time with just JavaScript. Moment.js is really big because it's been around since 2011. And uh, it's been kind of like a, even Matt and I, Matt and I don't like use a lot of libraries, like big libraries, uh, but we know about Moment.js. We've known about it. I've used it once or twice in uh, a couple of small projects. I was, I was like going that. to use it and then didn't need to, so... Exactly. So like, it's just, it's just one of those things that you, you, you know, exists because it's so big and it's been around for so long. Um, and the reason this is happening now, the reason that they're going to be a legacy project, and I'll explain what legacy project means in, in a second, uh, is that it was built for the legacy web technologies. Like they themselves came out, published like a project status blog and explained that they were built for legacy web technologies and they're not designed to be used the current web ecosystem. Uh, there's plenty of libraries that can replace it and they themselves go out of, of their way and say like, hey, here's 10 libraries that do exactly what we do, but do it better in more modern technologies. So use these. And that's all in the article. We'll link that article in the show notes if you want to actually replace your Moment.js library. Um, but yeah, there's, it's, there's uh, another reason is that Google recently started showing suggestions to replace large libraries directly in DevTools. So you can open up DevTools if you're using old uh, old libraries that don't have any good uh, any good tree shaking or any good ways of minifying themselves uh, to a small small enough package, Google will actually go out of its way and be like, "Hey, here's a bunch of libraries that could replace this one that are much smaller and much more modern," which is interesting. I didn't know it was doing that until today, until this until uh, Moment JS made their announcement. But apparently, that was another one of their reasoning and being like, "Why do we want to be this library that Google is trying actively to you know get rid of?" Like it just doesn't make sense for us to continue to continue to develop something like this, uh, where people are just going to be seeing like a red flag beside our name for all of eternity, essentially. Um, and the whole thing with tree shaking. So the current trend is that you want to keep your packages to a minimum, right? Like Matt and I have talked about it as much as possible, being like, you got to, first of all, not only limit the amount of packages you use, but make sure when you're using a package, you're using something small, something light, so that when someone's loading your page, you're not loading, you know, 15,000 different dependencies and slowing down everyone's experience. And tree shaking, what that does is it allows a package to only use what you're actually calling in the package. So it automatically detects that, hey, okay, you're only calling the, you know, the date and time formatter right now. So we're going to remove everything else from the package and we're only going to give you access to the date and time form formatter. And that's what we're going to package with your website. That's what tree shaking is. It's a really important aspect to a lot of new web technologies because, again, we're trying to limit the amount of information that we're packing in that we're not using. Uh, we're trying to get it down to as small a package as possible so that we can, you know, deploy it and, you know, developing nations can use it. Any like uh, people with uh, Internet um, data plans that have a cap on it don't get hit and stuff like that. You just want to make sure that it's as small as possible to, to get the best experience for as many people as possible. Uh, one, one big thing with Moment.js though, and this is another, like, it's kind of a turning point in the discussion is that it still gets to this day, 12 million downloads per week, <laughs> 12 million downloads. So they're saying goodbye at other companies, probably like, or other libraries, probably like never could imagine to get that per week. So it's an, it's an interesting thought because like it, it leads you to think, is it really the right move for them to say goodbye? Like maybe they could have refactored. 
maybe they could have done something else, but we'll talk about that in a second as well. So in the future, I expect more libraries to go this route, deprecating their older code. I think some of them will choose to rebuild and refactor, but the most the most open source libraries, which is what MomentJS is, just don't have enough funding to get there. And it just goes to show that like, if you're just give, giving something to the community, you're not charging for any aspect of it. The only thing that you're really accepting usually is donations. It's just not enough for you to be able to like, you know, support an entire team on. For the most part, there are some exceptions to this, but it's mostly not enough for you to support a team on. And you do have to kind of sometimes cut and run. Um, and that's the scary thing. There's a lot of scary, it's, it's scary because a lot of libraries that millions of people use could do that. Thankfully, MomentJS actually handled it really well. Again, they released this, this update, this blog update saying that, you know, we're, we're going away from the project. We're not going to be supporting it any longer, but we're not, it's not dead. Like we're not removing it from the internet. Uh, we've got it in a stable state. You can continue to use it for as long as you want, but we're just tell, letting you know that we're not going to be optimizing it. We're not going to be adding all these other features that you, you've been wanting. Here are the other platforms that you can switch to that do have all those features. Here's how to switch to them. Like they just went about it a really good way, but who knows if another, you know, MomentJS type behemoth, behemoth will do exactly that. Will there be a situation where someone will go in and be like, it's not worth even keeping on our servers anymore and just rip it out off their servers? Or it's not even worth having a GitHub because people keep submitting issues and it's just driving us crazy. Let's remove it off of GitHub. Like there, there's just, I'm, it, there's bound to be the situation because of the dependency hell that we create for ourselves. And a lot of people are in it where you're going to be kind of stuck having to replace a package that you've used on like, you know 20 or 30 websites because they've just decided to pull it or something, or they've done it poorly. They haven't made it a legacy project. They literally just destroyed the project, took it down, and now they're, you know, you're, you're on your own. It's bound to happen. And it probably has on a smaller scale. I'm just thinking on a big scale. Like 12 million downloads a week is a lot. Like that's a whole lot of freaking downloads. And I'm just wondering, like, do you think it was the right move for them to go this way? Or could they have monetized it? Like I want, Like I wonder... What is the best route to take in this? And we won't have a right answer, obviously. Matt and I don't run a open source project that has twelve million dollars per week, but I'm just I'm just curious your thoughts on this, Matt. Well, okay, I have a I have a third party thought. And I also have a thought that's like directly related. So I'll do the third party one first, actually. This okay, this type of activity of like something shutting down. And in this case, it's still being up and everything else. What? Okay. Just today, just today, this is what I mean by third party. X cloud went live on my phone. Okay. Now I own a whole f- like crap ton of games like, like this in cases from years and years and years and years and years and years. Like I could say that we were years a million times. Like, Literally, uh, like, a bunch of years. Decades. Okay? Like, a couple. Um, just games. Computer games. Xbox games. Whatever. Today, like, as as much as whatever we want to say, this is like a pivotal day. A pivotal day. In which we are now relying, or have the option to, I should say, rely on the cloud. Now, I haven't played it yet, but I booted it up. And I just booted into, like, the splash screen of, like, Gears of War. Just to see it, because I don't care about my Gears of War data. And I didn't have a controller connected, so I couldn't play, but I just wanted to see if it would work. And what I was thinking to myself is, 
and like maybe I'm like a being, being philosophical here, but think about someone who's a minimalist. Okay, think about think think about a minimalist office. Maybe they have a TV, a console, one console, a computer, and then a monitor to go with it, of course, right? So just a desk setup and a small entertainment setup. And think about they have nothing else. They don't have any of the discs. Like they're just they started gaming five years ago. They don't have any of the discs or anything. How much have we? How much of of our own computing future? And this affects web development. So that's why I'm getting back to moment. JS. How much of our computing future have we surrendered to a server or servers, more specifically, that we do not control, that we do not maintain, that can be shut off at any time? So the reason why I mentioned the minimalist office is because the minimalist office looks like he has nothing. He looks like he has a computer, he has this, but in reality, which is a couple of subscriptions, which are invisible to the naked eye, obviously, you have hundreds of games. Xbox Game Pass, PC Game Pass, you have Steam, you have all this stuff. Whether you are on a subscription service, whatever, you own like you have a whole bunch of digital property that isn't physical. And whereas like Steam has had like there's been discussions over like, oh, if Steam shuts down, you know, we'll still allow you to download the game so you can like take them like take them away, like DRM free, or like I don't know I don't know the full case, so like, you know, don't like I don't know whether the DRM free thing's right, but it's like there was discussion way back when Steam started taking off. It's like, hey, what if Steam shuts down next year? There was, like, discussion of, like, oh, like, you'll be able to download it and just have it so then, like, back up your own game collection because the servers will be off. But xCloud is a game streaming service. Okay? Netflix is a movie streaming service. If Netflix shuts down tomorrow, how many people's movie collections are now at zero? How many people's movie collections have been reduced by 25%, 20%, 30%, 50%, 100%, like I just said. We've surrendered a lot of what we do where we used to compute it locally. We'd have a VCR, a DVD player, a Blu-ray player. We'd have the Blu-ray, put it in, and we'd play it. We can still do that stuff, to be clear. That's why I'm saying it's an option. But it's a direction that we're going in that's a little concerning. Here's a capitalist perspective. And this is not what Moment is doing. I want to be clear because they're open source. I make a video game. I make a piece of software. It doesn't matter what it is. Make a piece of software. I release it. I release it only on my platform and you have to stream it. I have full control over what that software does. Now here's now here's a kicker. Everyone's like, oh, I can just download that later. No, you can't. This software is only available to people who stream and add it to their library to stream from September 1st to September 2nd, 2020. And then I'm vaulting it. So do you want to use my software? You better sign up for my subscription service. And you better click that play button. And you better have it. But that. why would they do that? Wouldn't that be a bad for their capital? False like urgency. Would... Now I close now urgency. I close up the vault. Now, the thing is, is you have to have a name behind yourself. Like you would have to be a big brand where people are like, oh, I can't miss the latest, whatever. Isn't that what Disney used to do with their like movie collection? It is exactly Once what Disney used to do with their movie collection. They would re-release them every like six years or seven years, and they would take them off the shelves like after them. like a month. But now they can do it with the click of a button, and they control the platform that you watch it on. So you want, like, like seriously, okay? And let's okay, let let's let's be more let's be more nefarious. Games are something that get constantly remastered, okay? Software is something that becomes deprecated and gets renewed. 
gets re gets refreshed or another project replaces it. What if I just take those old softwares away from you at whim and tell you you have to you have to buy another one? Like, sorry guys, like we're no longer streaming this video editor for 2020. Please download our 2021 video editor. I mean, we're already there with the yearly subscriptions for every piece of software. Like, you can't get, you can't buy Adobe Photoshop anymore. You can't. You have to pay per month, and if you don't pay that month, then you don't use it. Period. I mean, I mean, we're there. yeah. I mean, yeah. oh, I, I, I can't speak to Photoshop myself because I don't use it, but uh, don't use it too often. But, um, but like, I mean, a lot of stuff is going that way, and 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 what it is is it's 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 instant it's instant gratuity. Like I was thinking to myself on my phone, I was like, you know what's fucking crazy about this is like, if I was like I was in my living room at the time, but it's like if I'm at a bus stop, I could just play Gears of War right now. Like, so you have that, there's a lot of benefit to it. And I'm not like pointing fingers and I'm excited for xCloud and I'm going to try it and I'm a big tech enthusiast and I'm fine with that. But I'm going to hold on to the fact that I at very least have a, have a like collection of games. Now, most, a lot of my games now are digital because like the discs have just started piling up. So I can still download those and play and I'm locally computing them on a console or on a PC. That's the main thing that I'm talking about. The, the device that I own is housing and and using it, right? It is, it is computing it and is making it render. Think about websites now. All these libraries and all these plugins and all this crap. And this stuff really started like... Like, can we say 20 years ago? Not really. Like, Moment, you said, have been around since 2011. Like, that was pretty pretty new. So let's just, like, total ballpark without any research... 10 years. Well, gaming's been around for a long time and they figured out how to monetize stuff. Now, I'm not saying Moment's monetizing stuff. What I'm saying is, is like a bunch of people are using open source libraries that can easily be shut down. Think about all the game servers that have been shut down. You as a kid played X game on like on a server and you're like, man, I really want to go back and play that. Can't anymore because multiplayer shut down. Can't anymore because that game was always online even though it necessarily didn't really have to be. We're giving up our local computing. And now you have to wait for a remaster, maybe, if the, if one comes out. And then you have to buy it again. Now, I'm being very cynical. Like, I want to be clear. I've already said it. I am very excited for xCloud. Like, after I'm done here, I'm going to try to boot it up with my, with my Bluetooth controller. I'm going to give it a try. Like, I really like the idea of it. But if you listen to my other podcasts, not to self-promote, but if you listen to my other podcasts, I've mentioned several times that I'm a fan of the local computing. The digital stores have been regulated to an extent. I don't know whether it's like via their own policing or government regulation, but even when they take stuff off the shelves, right? Off the digital shelves, they take, they like retire things. You can still buy it and then download it from your library. So I, I, I'm, I now do mostly digital purchases just because there's discs friggin' everywhere. So it's like, I mostly do digital purchases, but at least I can download that. And if my internet goes out, unless that game relies on the internet, I can just play it. And that's really critical, Right. What I'm saying is, is like, we are, we are surrendering so much of what we do, including websites, like down to websites. Like what happens? Like, uh, I, I made an app, I made an app, uh, um, a mobile app for a website that's deprecated and it's using a, an API, uh, that's remotely hosted. As far as I understand it, I was new to the whole thing back then. So I can't even remember. And it's been years. What if that API just goes down, disappears? That whole app doesn't work anymore. This is what we're seeing with websites where 
not only is the website itself obviously remotely hosted and it's in the cloud and it's being served and it re- and like if you're a person that uses it it relies on that person it relies on that person continually paying their bill but the actual constructed pieces the the actual foundation of some websites relies on cloud services that are clouded in relation to them it's like the cloud like if server 1 is is housing the the website the it might rely on a on an on a, an API that relies on something that's in a totally different country. So in relation to the website, it has to go talk to the cloud to get help. So in terms of like Moment.js, I'm not saying what they did was wrong. It sounds like they handled this properly. Like they're saying it's a legacy project. It sounds like there's new technologies to handle it. There's alternatives out there. There's all this other stuff. Um you know, there's ways to tell time and just, you know, vanilla JS and stuff like that. Like, you know, there, there's, there's alternatives out there and we're not being left in the lurch. But web development in this aspect, in this way, is in its infancy. Gaming is not in its infancy. Gaming has figured out how to do all this. And gaming has figured out how to monopolize time. It, there's like a whole thing with daily challenges and there's all this stuff that like games do. I'm not going to get into it. But... I think it's just a matter of time before we start seeing monetization strategies for these remote services. Like, there's money in keeping something like this alive. Maybe. See, there's the question. Maybe. Like, that's the ma- it's like the maybe there's 12 million downloads. I, like, how many, if they said moments now $100, how much money are they going to make? $500? $1,000? Like, $100,000? Like, what's the number? So I could be totally off base. Totally off base. But my concern is still there, where we're relying a lot on remote services. Now, you could say, well, JS only works as the browsers do it. Well, sure. But I mean, at that point, if the browsers stop working, now what are we doing? You know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? Like, at that point, like, the foundation of everything is crumbling. But like, it it is like, we've had, we've had cloud services get affected by cloud services and had clients call and do that, do a support call. We had uh, Embedly, Embedly. Went down at one point, or they had a, they had an error, a problem, and Webflow uses Embedly, or at least they used to. Whatever, I'm not gonna get into that. I really like Embedly, like it was really good and everything. I haven't used it in a while. I haven't like messed around with embedding stuff in Webflow re- recently, but I really enjoyed Web Embedly, right? I really enjoyed it, and like my clients really enjoyed it. And then we got a phone call one day, like I can't embed anything, and I didn't even know that Webflow was using Embedly. Didn't even know, and I was like, what the hell is going on here? Like I can't embed, like something's wrong. Hit up the forums, people are complaining. Oh, it's oh, it's Embedly embedding something in the rich text was done by a third party a third party clouded system what if embedly pulled the plug now embedly didn't do that there was a small problem but just just hypothet just hypothetically what if embedly pulled the plug sorry guys we can't afford these servers anymore all of webflow and god knows however however many other services are now now can no longer embed things the way they used to It's like we've used human technology, like human technology builds on one another, right? It's like car manufacturers aren't reinventing the wheel every time. They're not like, how does a wheel work? Let's start with a square one. You know, they're not, you know, obviously. <laughs> but now we're like building upon it. It's like as if you buy buy the tw- like the 20, 2020 like, like Ford F-150 and it's literally like on top of the Ford 2019, the F-150 from 2019. Like, and then imagine like, oh, the 2021 comes out and now it's on top of all three. So now you have this three layer car and that bottom starts to crumble because it's starting to get older. Keep piling, piling, piling more years on top and that bottom crumbles. This is what I think we're starting to see. Now that, that- I think it's happening too quickly. 
Like, I think people are just reaching for stuff too quickly without considering the consequences. Like the Embedly thing, for as an example, obviously Webflow could have created their own version of Embedly. Like, it, it wouldn't have been that much of a task. But they're, I'm assuming what happened was their, uh, you know, product cycle had a certain amount of days to it. And they got to their embeds technology and they're like, we don't have enough days to build it out. So they start reaching. And then they've probably done that for almost every cycle of something. Like something in every cycle, someone reaches for a third-party solution that is hosted online or something like I'm that. I'm on Embedly's website right now. This is, I'm, I'm reading this verbatim. Trusted mm-hmm. by the New York Times, Microsoft, Live Fire, I believe that's Medium, NPR, CBS Interactive, AOL, Reddit, MLB, um, The Guardian, MSNBC, Storify, Discuss, um, Bing Bong, Bing Boing, Boing Boing. Sorry, I don't know. Boing Boing. It says Boing Boing. Sorry. The Atlantic and Cheeseburger. And it says see more. Now, I will say, like, in their defense, it's like you're entering a YouTube link and then they deal with, like, hitting the YouTube servers and getting it all to be nice and then they embed it nicely. Like, there is, like, a fair bit of, like, cloud computing happening there and needs to happen. And so it would be nice, like, I mean, we're... The hat website, when it comes out, it's going to be using Embedly. It's using Webflow, right? Assuming Webflow is still using Embedly. So it's like, obviously, we're going to be using it. And it's super convenient. And I get it. But what we're hitting, what we're what we're seeing is instant gratification only. There's no, like, history there. Like, I watch a movie on Netflix. I effectively watch it. And I just effectively throw it away. When it gets taken off the library, I don't even notice it. Because as, as we know, Netflix has, like, a rotating library of movies. When it gets taken off of there, I don't even notice it getting taken away. Right? We're throwing it away. But now we're talking about projects that need long-term support. And then all of a sudden it's like, like here, here's, here's a real concern. Here's a real, real, real concern. Okay. We have a, we, we have worked on, um, on websites that are super old, that are super old, but they're self-contained and they work until literally the PHP under them crumbles or like the, or like the SQL like commands that they use no longer work right? Until literally the technology can't sustain them. Those, yes, I understand that like, oh, like, why can't that run for a hundred years? You know, you know, it's only 10 years or only 15 years. We've worked on websites that are literally old. Like, like, I mean, like literally old when like dial up was like the most common and like, it was common for people not to have internet, right? We worked on websites that old and help people fix them up or help people migrate. But those websites like worked as far as they could. And they only lasted 15 years. And they were completely self-contained. Look at the websites today. If we build a website today for somebody who's completely not tech savvy and they run off and they like go to do something else, like here's uh like they run off and they like, you know, go to run their business. Like they're running like, I don't know, making something up. They're running like a, a cable making business. So all they do is run, make cables. All they know is cables and logistics. They know how to build cables, ship the cables and that's it. Right. So we build their website out. They have no idea that like, and I'm just, and again, making this up that the, the Shopify plugin, the WooCommerce plugin, the, the, the plugin to the plugin that we've put on their WordPress site is a ticking time bomb. Tick, 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 support gets cut. Tick, 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 end of life. They pull the server. Now they all of a sudden can't, can't like process payments. And it's like, what the hell is going on? That person, all they do is do the cables and the, do the shipping. They have no idea what's happening. I would be not confident in releasing a website that would last 15 years. There's no freaking way I'd have to tell you like, sorry guys, like you're going to have to sign up for a subscription or in like six years or 10 years, maybe you're going to have to like call me because 
a remote service yeah. is going to go down. Google doesn't have their RSS API anymore. How many people use that? And that was years ago, but still. If Podbean pulled right now, this podcast is over. If Podbean shut down right now, we have no host. Can we find an alternative? Yeah. Are we going to have to start from square one? Yeah. In terms of statistics? Yeah. Like, like ser- seriously. And why? Because Mike and I didn't have time and stuff like that. And this is why people reach for this. And we do it too. So we're not talking down. We were like, man, we need a podcast service. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to self-host. The hell with it. We're going to go find a podcast service, pay them per month. Now they deal with it and they move on. Everything is super, like people don't realize this. People don't realize this. Everything is super, is like super fucking delicate. Like things are super delicate and like holding on by a string sometimes. Like I can't wait until a big library or something like that completely closes their doors and like something like Netflix web goes down. It might happen. Now you can say things like, oh, like I compile my site and then it's static and it's all just HTML and CSS and then I don't have to deal with that and blah, 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 blah. That might be true. But what if you're like CMS uses something that's like that? Like what if you're using a headless CMS that uses, a, see what I mean? Like there's like this, this consistent, like constant, this was the argument against way back. Again, I'm, I like talking, I'm always talking about gaming, but like, that's what I do. So it's like, there was an argument back in the day where it was like, why are games always online when they're single player games? There's games that are always online that require a server connection. They're single player games. SimCity was like that. The new one it needs to be online. I'm playing single player. No, it needs to be online. Now they fit. They did fix it to their credit, but still that existed. And there are games out there that still exist to that, to this day that do that. So like, this is, this is where the concern comes in where when people say throwaway economy, like for example, like not to get into the politics of throwaway economy, but like in turn, people start saying throwaway economy. Like, are we making throwaway websites? Kind of. Mike, would you be confident in 15 years, if you teleported 15 years in the future, that the app you're working on for work, all the apps you're working on for work, would they be still be working? <sighs> I want to say maybe. You see what I'm saying, it depends. though? It, but, but honestly, like the apps that I'm working on right now are pretty self-contained in the sense that we we don't use third-party services for some for most features. And even if the third-party service for the features that we do use go down, they're still working. Now, 15 years is way too much time, in my opinion. I don't, I'm not confident in that because I think JavaScript will be different in 15 years from Right, that, PHP from might be so different. Like, like the basics are going to be different. The base will be different. Like, I think different. we're evolving. Yeah, browsers will be different. I think we're evolving at such a pace that 15 years is too far in the future for regardless of how self-sustained or self-contained your product, your product is. And... That that's another point that I want to make. Like when we when we're talking about open source packages that just rip themselves away from uh, GitHub, that doesn't mean they're going to stop working on your on your actual project, right? Like 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 Matt was saying, when you build your code or when you pull your code from the from the library, it means that you're actually putting it locally on your machine. You're, you're locally and in your it. local GitHub. Yeah, local to your GitHub. Technically, sometimes no. Uh, the, the functionality it, it 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 is really complicated because if you're using npm, then usually the packages themselves are still hosted on npm, and if someone pulls it and you start a build again, it's going to error out. So it still could possibly be that, but you have the option to, since it's an open source package hosted on npm, you have the option to pull it yourself, put it locally on your machine, and actually make it fully self-contained. Like you can do that for a lot of these packages, but 
Matt also brought up a lot of good points where he was talking about Shopify, where he was talking about third-party CMSs and stuff like that, that are absolutely not hosted locally and absolutely will rely on other services and rely on themselves and all that. And you don't have control over that whatsoever. And if, if one of their services or they go down and you relying on them for anything, that's it. There's nothing you can they, do. Like you that, have that to one go client to... couldn't post couldn't post the videos they needed to post. Like literally was yeah. incapable of posting the videos they needed to post without me coming in there with an iframe and helping them with every single thing they needed to post. And they had like 15 things exactly. to post, so their their weekend content was dead in this particular instance. Just dead. And yeah. and like it's not in Bedley's fault. I'm not saying that. You know, we have outages too. We had a recent outage, right? Because of a reseller and all the rest. Of, like I'm not gonna get into it, but like the point of the matter is, like we we've, we've had outages too. We're not blaming Embedly. I'm saying that this is like a house of cards. Yeah, we're in we're in a house. It's it's a consistent house of cards. We've talked about it a few times. Where like the the one biggest example was the package that was a dependency for millions and millions of other packages, uh, and it was like a dependency of a dependency of a dependency as well. So people didn't even realize they were using it, and they pulled themselves from npm. And the next time that you're trying to automatically build your website on Netlify or something it errors out and your website goes down or your errors out and you can't update your website anymore and stuff like that. Like this, this has real world consequences. Absolutely. And it will have real world consequences because of how we're treating it. Um, now the strategy that a lot of, I would, I companies should use is like, if you want to go fast, you go fast and you build this house of cards, but then you slowly start taking out the bottom cards and replacing them with like solid blocks of uh, concrete. That's how you should go about it. Now, I'm not saying that all companies do this, but I'm assuming something like Netflix, for instance, it probably built itself up pretty quickly. And then it's slowly going through and building, like taking libraries that it was using that are third party, ripping them out and putting their own more efficient libraries in. That's my assumption. Or, or I'm not sure. I don't have any so insights. They, they could survive for a year if something was pulled. Exactly. Like stuff like that. When you're talking about billions of dollars, a company like this, it's not a crazy assumption to make that that's exactly what they're doing. Uh, and they're trying to rely on no one but themselves. It's the same thing with like Facebook, same thing with Google. Like I'm sure that large companies are taking steps 100% to not use third parties that could potentially sink them. Um, but smaller startups, they don't have a choice because they're go they have to go so quickly. And they're definitely on like very shaky cars, just hoping for <laughs> just hoping that their dependencies don't break and hoping that their build systems all manage to to automatically build and all that. And no, no one pulls their their stuff from NPM. It's just it, it is really risky. But it's also the industry that we're in. And it's like, th there is no real solution to it. If you want to go fast at this point, like there's just you you have to you have to take those risks and you have to adapt and you have to kind of react to the situations that are going to come up because they're probably going to come up someone's going to screw up their package someone's going to screw up an update and it's going to cause you a headache and you're going to have to solve it it's just the reality of it now as the web matures and i think at some point the web will mature as a industry and like some it, it will come down to like okay this is the de facto framework this is the de facto like you know what i mean like the web will become a or maybe frameworks will, will will be phased out and like JavaScript will be the quote unquote framework that everyone uses and only JavaScript because it just has all the features that all the best frameworks have built into it already because that's kind of where it's going theoretically. So I think it will mature at some point and it won't be this wild west and it will be a lot more stable, but I don't know when that is. It could be 10 years down the line, it could be 20, it could be 30. And so up until that point, if you're listening to this now, like in the year 2020 and around there, you're probably in the same situation that we're in where you just kind of have to 
live with it. <laughs> like you, there's not much you can do. Like I said, yes, you could pull in all your open source projects, open source libraries, host them locally and make sure that you're only using them locally um, and then edit them yourself or something like that. But that has its own disadvantages. Whereas if there's like a security issue in one of the libraries and you don't get that update, which is how they work, uh, you don't get that update, then your, your, your um, website becomes vulnerable. And uh, a lot of other bad stuff could happen, like incompatibilities with the current browsers. Like a lot of libraries auto like update themselves when a new browser comes up, so that it makes sure that it it can be compatible with them. If you don't update your library, it doesn't do that. Now the other option is don't use a library at all. A lot of the times, it's just not a possibility because you got to build a com- like a very complex system in a, in a certain amount of time and. Each one of these libraries could be saving you, you know, a week, two weeks, three weeks, who knows? So it's just, it's just one of those things that like, it's, it's inevitable. A lot of people are, a lot of people say, and they promote using vanilla JavaScript, including ourselves, but in a certain case, like unless you're doing a project just for yourself, just for fun, and you have an infinite amount of time, in a lot of ways, you can't just purely rely on that. And, and literally we're seeing that we're, we're like you were saying the one statistic, 12 million over 12 million downloads a week for a moment, you know, now it, and that's at the end of its life cycle. And that sucks. Like, like there's a whole thing, there's a whole thing to unpack there, right? There's like, this is like sort of the first party opinion that I mentioned much earlier in the show now, but that I mentioned before is like, there's a lot of people out there who are like sort of open source enthusiasts and they sort of have like a thing where they think that software should be free and the hardware is the thing you need to pay for. Now that, that opinion's kind of getting like more niche and more niche and more niche. I'd find like I used to hear that a fair bit in high school, and then now it's sort of like open source is still big in in the fact that like there's a lot of people that use it and a lot of people that like it and that type of thing. But like I would love to see the statistics of if Moment said, "I need a hundred dollars for a license and it's a lifetime license from anyone that downloads this." Like anyone who has it currently, go ahead. But like, and again, this is hypothetical. This isn't what they said. But I would love to see you know a hundred dollars, ten dollars, whatever it is. How many people would would seriously consider paying moment to keep up and running right because if there was a bunch of money coming in i could see them you know not not making moment legacy or even if they make moment legacy they'd have like a moment two you know or something like that they they would be like another version i would say that that would be my assumption they would they would make a moment two and then like do some sort of payment scheme for that now it's arguable like I think the the reason they're not doing that is because of the competition. Like if they were the only ones doing what they were doing, I think they would consider that. But because there's like 10 other things doing exactly the same thing for free, it would be a really tough sell for a lot of people and most people most likely. So it would be like and, – and it would be kind of a bad look. Like, you know, it's always a, it's always a controversy when a free-to-play – a free service goes to pay – no matter what you do, like whether you want to waver the controversy, whether you agree with it, it doesn't matter. Uh, it's just one of those things that's going to happen. It's going to be a bad look. Uh, and the fact that people are going to start constantly be peppering you with being like, why would we pay you if there's these, these, and these? And you would be constantly getting those messages if you do that. Now, is that worth maybe the potential of continuing your project, paying your staff, and building out a better product in the end? Maybe. And that's kind of the question that you're asking, Matt. Like if those people pay the $100 or the $10 or the $1, whatever you choose the price to be, and you're able to, you know, continue the project and keep keep funding a whole staff of people and create something even better because you're being paid to do it, then maybe it was worth it all in the end. But it, it's just like, are you willing to weather that storm and uh, get, th- get through it with all the bad press and all the bad 
and the the potential of, of it failing as well. Like who knows? Like who knows how many of those people? Twelve million people is a lot a week. Is it five that are willing to pay? Well, you know, is it, it, it five hundred? It's a good question because, like, you know, uh, isn't Apache open source? Apache is open source. Like, yes, you know what I mean. Like, open source is such a is such a weird it's such a weird like topic because like Wikipedia is sort of like open source media, if you will. Like, you know, I'm not gonna I don't know all the logistics of how you what you call that officially, but you know, and Wikipedia always has to ask for money, but you like they always ask and ask and ask, but they don't like they don't force you to. Right. And that's the big thing. Whereas these smaller projects, like, I don't know whether they would because it's because they're doing maybe a major, but a major, but small thing. You know, they're doing time. Could yeah. they really ask for that? I don't think you know so. I, mean? I don't like, think, could they, ask I don't for think money? they would be successful. I don't think it would be like maybe that's what they're seeing. Like, I mean, I didn't read the article that you have here. Like, I'm just learning from learning about this from you, but. I would love to have somebody who's who's been a part of the moment team on the show and like to see the yeah. life cycle, because like if you think about it, like an open source project to me probably starts with like great intentions. It has a great life cycle. And then does it come to an abrupt end? Is there writing on the wall for several years? You know, are there people that are just not willing to do this or do they lose staff? Like 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 what happens in general, like not not just with moment, but with any open source project that closes what happens in general? I'm sure each one has their unique flavor, but there's probably sort of a general sense of like, well, like, you know, had a good run and then that's it. So I would, I don't know. I'd love to talk to somebody for even from the moment team, because like, this is such a mystery to me. It's like 12 million a week. Like there must've been, you know what I mean? There must've been a way to monetize that. You know, if we were getting 12 million a week on the hat site, holy Christ, you know? We'd hope that we could get something out of that, but who knows? Well, like, just putting Google know. Ads would have made you a half-decent amount of cash from that. Like, not millions, but... Yeah, probably. But again, would the Google Ads have deterred the 12 million people? Maybe. I, I no mean, there's a bunch with ad block, I'm sure, crap. But, like, still. Yeah, exactly. Still, though. So, just as a small example, we have a project that we did that we initially monetized and then demonetized. It was called. It was a game called Clicks to Riches for the Chrome App Store. Um... I believe when we initially launched it, uh, we didn't do much marketing or anything like that. So, and this is small numbers and stuff, but it does it does paint a little bit of a picture. Um, I believe when we initially launched it, uh, we had what like thirteen people that purchased the game for a dollar or whatever 40, it was. For over forty. Okay, forty people that purchased the game for a dollar. Ninety nine cents. Something like that. Ninety nine cents. Yeah, forty people. Um, we were featured on the Chrome App Store and stuff, so that helped us get a little bit of visibility. But really, like a really small number, 40 people, tiny, tiny, tiny number. As soon as we made it free to play, we had peaks of like 3,000 users, 3,000, around, around 3,000, 4,000 users. And users are people that, at least at the time of us reading that, was people that were active on the app within two weeks. Exactly. Not the downloads, like the literal, literal like people, people that using are using the, the app. Yeah, yeah, that 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 was the difference, and that was like this is an extremely small example. It's a game; it's different the moment, but still, if that's the case, you know what I mean. Like, if that's how the industry goes between open source and not open source, it makes sense why they just decided to throw in the the hat. That's that's all I'm saying. Like, it just it, I I I believe that their contribution was huge, but their what they're solving is small at this point in time. That they just didn't see it translating to the to any amount of money that they could do anything with, while also obviously weathering the storm of bad press. 
Yes. So it's just yeah. I think I think that's the decision that they made. Um, I think it was a, a little bit altruistic decision as well, where they were just like, "Hey, we had a good run. We're all they're all probably working on different projects right now anyway," and they moved forward. It just it seems ridiculous to us and a lot of people out there in the audience probably with the twelve million a week download. If numbers you had that on an app like, and you sunsetted the app, you'd be like, "Dude, be like, insane, why don't you yeah. just like not update well, it for like three months? Tell everyone what you're doing." Or whatever, six months, and then like release a big a big update or something, right? If, if, it's it happened once that I can think of on an app, and that was Flappy Bird. Oh, that's right. But that was Remember a very that? individualistic. Like it was one guy, and it was that, like, some problems. Exactly. And... Very altruistic. Very, uh, very much a person problem, not so much an app problem. The guy got death threats because his game was too hard jesus he decided that that wasn't worth it worth the I, it was a significant amount of money at the time though. oh yeah like it was in the hundreds of thousands of dollars at the time that he decided to just stop immediately and pull it from all stores so it happens but it's very rare well especially <laughs> like especially rare the in the example. fact of an agency like if that guy was in a dev studio and he said let's close it the guy would have been like yeah. dude just take a like a hiatus like you yeah. know take a sabbatical and stuff like that yeah that's that that would have been the logical decision not to close it and although it made it made it even more of a, a sensation i think because people started buying the iphones oh my God, with the game pre-installed and remember that that was a whole thing <sighs> uh, i don't know how much of that was actually made up or just a media frenzy but it, i mean there was that was whole an fortnite thing too though same thing yeah exactly same thing happened with fortnite again i don't know how much of people actually were actually buying these things or if it was like a fake well, regardless, I, I don't know. I, I don't think I have much else to add to the topic. I don't know if you want to, if you have any ending notes or if you want to roll up the uh, old outro. Well, I don't know what, I don't know whether the audience can hear, but the Sons of Anarchy are ripping by my house right now. So there we go. <laughs> it's super, super loud. Um, so I don't know whether the mic could pick that up, but I can, I can certainly hear it through my headphones. But anyway, um, I mean, I would like to extend, like, if you know anyone who worked on an open source project, you work on an open source project, an active one, or you know someone who worked on on one or on Moment, or you worked on Moment, like, reach out on social media and talk to us, like, on our Instagram or our Twitter or something, because I seriously want to talk to you, because I want to know what this type of thing feels like and how this works. Like, we have that small dev uh, Chrome web store or whatever, uh, sort of equivalent experience, or at least as close as we personally can get. But I would love to hear like a story about this, and, like have a discussion like, hey, what the hell happens? Like, you know, why did you want to start it? Why did it end? Whatever, blah, 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 et cetera. So and the life cycle as well. Uh, but yeah, I'll run the old conclusion, I think. So uh, remember, we're on that Patreon. If you want to support the show, that's patreon.com slash HTML, the things. Check out those tiers. Give that a go. And many thanks to our $3 tier patrons, Sean from RabbitWorks, JavaScript. Find him at youtube.com slash RabbitWorks, JavaScript. Garrick from Local Path Computing and Web Design. Find him at localpathcomputing.com. Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital. Find him at blueblackdigital.com. Chris from Selfmade Web Designer. Find him at selfmadewebdesigner.com. Tim from The Web Hacker. Find him at thewebhacker.com. DL Ford from dlford.io and Bib Hashdash from Twitter via at Bib Hashdash. Feel free to leave a comment or a review on the platform you're listening to this on, and this outro will sign us off. You've been listening to HTML All the Things Podcast. 
web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All The Things. Signing off.